Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to DA Rockstars. We are so glad you're here. Oh my gosh, guys, this episode is freaking phenomenal. Jules got to sit down virtually with Doug and Chelsea from Dent Supply Serona. Totally worth one credit of CE, by the way, which you'll get at the end. We'll get to the code. But I mean, talking about everything from water lines to handpiece maintenance and all things in between. I hope you guys enjoy. Alright rock stars, if I haven't gotten your attention previously about Zen Supplies, let's try a different accent. How it works, Zen Supplies, their web-based platform manages inventory and ordering of your dental supplies. They combine the advantage of having everything in one place and having a single point of reference for inventory control, ordering and budgeting. How it works, 1. Create an account and link your suppliers. Two. Review your custom inventory list. Three, process orders with confidence. Four, track and verify orders as the shipments arrive. Five, control 4% of supplies budget with personalized attention. Are you ready for Zen Supplies? Visit www.zensupplies.com to find out more. Rockstars out there, I have some special guests today from Dent Supply Serona, and we are going to be talking about infection control and all the stuff that we need to know as dental assistants as we come back to work or if we're still continuing to work, what we need to do. So I have Doug and Chelsea with Dent Supply Serona. If you guys could introduce yourself, that would be great. Hi everyone, Doug Mayer here. I'm the training manager and product specialist with uh, Midwest Handpiece Division from Densply Serona. I've been in handpieces for 27 years and been, uh, well, I started in handpieces when infection control started with high speeds. So it's been my entire career and I've spent the past seven or eight years really diving in deep to the legality and, uh, and such with, uh, with regards to infection prevention with handpieces. Awesome. Chelsea? Hello everyone, Chelsea Leone, Densize Serona. I'm focusing in now on the Midwest hand pieces as well as burrs. I've been with the company close to 10 years. Um, did formerly like a restorative uh, sort of position. And now I've recently moved over into Midwest hand pieces. Um, I've been learning a tremendous amount um, about infection control and hand pieces and constantly the evolution of them, um, which I'm mm -hmm. extremely excited about. And I'm extremely excited to be working, you know, alongside you, Jules, and your counterparts out there, especially dental assistants, they're so important to us. And we play a big, big role in the office for the infection control part, I believe. Sometimes more <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes more than others, right? Sometimes more than we have to do. So we'll go over a couple things and, and you guys can feel free to chime in and ask. These are some questions that I came up with the dental assistants really want to know and what needs, you know, what can they know more about, especially in this midst of the COVID and, and all the stuff that's going on. Um, so the first question was, my office is closed. What should I do with my equipment before leaving? We'll start with Doug. Excellent question. So from a handpiece and instrument perspective, it's pretty easy. Just go ahead and sterilize everything like you do before the end of the day, any other time, 
and then just make sure that you're poaching your instruments before you sterilize them. And we take them out of the sterilizer after the drying cycle, um, go ahead and store them pouched. And those should, you know, the instrument um, pouches have validations to them, but mm -hmm. it's years or decades. So unless they're compromised, they should be good for as long as they need to be. Okay. Um, outside of that, I would say, um, you know, just as a dental person who used to do dental equipment as well, make sure that the sterilizer's cleaned. And, and then I would empty that as well. Um, want to make sure to treat your dental unit water lines mm -hmm. um, because biofilm can, can start, you know, within at lunch hour. Right. So when you're gone several days of water sitting there, it can get pretty bad pretty quickly. Right. So just make sure you follow your, your uh, dental uh, unit manufacturer instructions for flushing that out. And then whatever dental water treatment you use on a daily or sometimes you use the draw straw, so it might be yearly. Whatever their process is for for um, uh, shocking before you leave on vacation or shocking to come back, follow that. Okay. Um, flush your vacuum lines, of course. Oh, that's a good one. Some people yep, forget yep. to do that. Right, and you know, it's a good thing when you're shutting down or starting back up during all of this craziness, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to talk to your dealer service technician because they kind of encompass everything. And then the other thing I also put was turn off all your equipment. So, you know, pretty much nowadays everything has an on-off switch. Right. So it's shutting everything down. And I know on our units at our office, we have separate uh, motors for our hand pieces. So, yes. and we leave them on, you know, Monday through Thursday, but now in this time I've gone around and shut them off. Yes. Because, it, you know, one, it's draining electricity and we don't need any higher bills than we need right now, but it, it just doesn't need to be on because we're not using them. Yeah, and usually they go into standby mode, so believe it or not, they don't hardly use any electricity at all, so okay. regular basis, you don't have to turn it off, but if you're gone for a long amount of time, it's good to shut stuff off, and even unplug it from the wall, even because when we go on vacation from the house, we'll unplug computers from the wall, in case there's a storm and you have a lightning strike, if it's not connected to a power, then it's going to be protected, so just a good idea if yeah. you're going to go for you know, an extended amount of time. And there's one thing you said about the pouches, and this has always been an issue when I've gone to talk to assistants about the infection control portion of it and, and how to pouch or cassette or blue paper wrap. And when they should, and I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always told them that they should remain closed until the patient is seated and you open them up in front of the patient. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Because what the CDC says, as soon as that pouch is, is opened, right. that instrument is no longer sterile. And it's fair to say as a dental office, well, we don't work, you know, we're not at the hospital. We're not working in a sterile environment. Mm -hmm. And the CDC comes right back and says, absolutely the case. But that's why we want you to wait until the patient's seated so that we know that instrument is sterile up till that point. Right. And I always so, think because of, if a patient walks in and you have instruments open, I feel like they were going to question you if they were clean or dirty. How do they know? Agreed. You know, so That's when you agreed. grab that pouch or that cassette off that tray and you bib them and you're kind of talking and moving along things and you're opening, I think it's a good indicator like, hey, these are fresh and clean for you and they're, you know, they've been processed correctly. And you can even go one step further where um, it's been said that the clinician should actually unpouch the instruments because he or she then would know visually whether those have been sterilized or not. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't know except for word of mouth and trust. And the idea is um, to keep chain of custody, 
So let the clinician, as they're introducing themselves and chatting through some stuff, be opening up the pouches. That way they can see the color changes on the pouch or in the indicator inside. Yes, definitely. Yes. you have any insight, Chelsea? Or... Yeah, actually going back to unplugging everything, um, I actually have a couple offices um, that I've encountered where they did have a lightning strike um, on their office and it wiped out virtually everything that was you know attached to any electricity whatsoever so after i saw what they went through and all of the equipment damage um i can't say enough about people doing that and really beware that that can actually occur no oh, good to know good to know <laughs> so before we open back up what do you recommend if we've been stagnant for a little bit some of the operatories i mean obviously dentists should be i'm hoping knock on wood that they are treating their emergency patients so they have at least one operatory. But the rest of the operatories or the office, what do you recommend that we do to get back fully up so that we know that everything is right where it needs to be? So usually you guys go on vacation now and again, hopefully. So maybe the office is down for a week or two. So kind of what you already do there. But the biggest thing with regards to instruments that use water is we want to make sure that water doesn't have any biofilm in it. So when you come in, start up your dental unit, you're gonna to wanna to flush those water systems out again, maybe even shock them again, and make sure you're up and going. And then if you're already testing your water at some point, <clears throat> some people do it quarterly, some do it monthly, depending on what state you're in. I would say shock it and get it tested right away would be the first thing I would do. I would also then, um, upon coming back, go ahead and run a biological indicator first cycle before you start sterilizing anything during procedures go ahead and run a biological indicator test on your sterilizer to make sure that it's working properly and it actually has uh, kill efficacy um, when you say water test the lines or shock them what systems do you recommend for water testing that's quick efficient cost effective and that really so you're not waiting what days months for all this to come back it's really you know write that in there and you can see what you need to so do there, there are some where you can do the test in-house but the, the the benefit of sending it in is you they will email you the test uh, results back and that way it's easy to keep electronically okay and most states require you to keep x amount of time right of those tests some up to seven years some up to a year or two so I've always found that keeping that you know it's kind of like when you when your insurance is due you have to get your insurance card you got to put it in the car I can tell you sometimes all of a sudden I think oh wow it's a month later and I forgot to do it I didn't have my paperwork in line but if I receive something in the mail in the email from state that helps me print it off and get it in there right away so I just think from a process standpoint to make sure to keep your paperwork in order that might be a better process is to send off your uh, send off your 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 um, test to the lab and let them give you results give them back to them electronically and file electronically how long does it usually take for a company that you recommend i think they usually take within five days okay so it's a pretty quick turnaround days. so you could yes. always do it the week before you open so that way yes. before you open that you know so in the event they fail what is the recommendation of what you recommend to do so OSAP we actually worked with OSAP Dentsply mm -hmm. Stone is an OSAP member um, I've been an OSAP member all Me my too. career 
and they talk about uh, good. Yeah, every dentist should should have a membership there. Yes, we want to see you in the crowd every, twice a year. Yeah. Um, but they did write a white paper okay. on dental unit water quality, and okay. they have recommendations. But it, it all depends on where you're at in your testing. If you've got baselines already set up, then you just step right in and start doing baselines again. But I think the main thing is, is when you come, when you leave to shock your system, when you come back, shock your system. I think that's the most important part. At, at that point, I always, t it's like an analogy of a swimming pool, mm -hmm. you know, let's just, let's just shock it, you know, in the springtime and right. then shock it when we're closing it up in the wintertime. And if you're like me, I shock mine every week. <laughs> well, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Remember, there's no... Ooh, or pee in our pool, right? Right. right. <laughs> Not that my kids do, but you never know what does go on. Um, one other thing, sometimes I've heard this too, distilled or tap water? Depends on your um, manufacturer of your water treatment. So, for instance, a, a product that I've worked with uh, for a long, long time is called Sterosil. It's a Sterosil mm -hmm. draw straw. Right. They have, a, they have it where you need to use, um, you can't use water that's too hard, mm -hmm. but it will condition the water up to a certain mill. So if you have decent water, you can use tap water. If you have really hard water, they'll probably ask you to use distilled water. Okay. I've always no. used distilled in my Cerac, in my um, autoclaves. We've always, we, I mean, we go to the store and pick it up. Yes. Just because that's what I, you know, I remember I had broken an autoclave because I didn't properly use it way back when. And the guy goes, oh, you're using tap water. I'm like, yeah, right here on the tap. No big deal. And he's like, that's a no-no. So ever since then, since I broke that mid-mark, um, I've always used distilled in everything. And I broke I a Cerex, so. Distilled is, distilled is the most safe, right? Because yeah. you don't have, the, you don't have the, the worry of particulate in there and minerals and so forth and it's always going to be safer for your things the other side of that coin is and i did some when i was doing research on this um distilled water is actually deionized water so it's looking for an ion and it can leach some of that out of the metals in your dental equipment so one of the things that uh, the companies recommend is use use the distilled water and what's nice is the silver ion product uh actually gives the ion back and neutralizes the water 100 percent Awesome. So there's a lot of chemistry going on there, but I would definitely just do what whatever your manufacturer of your treatment recommends. Perfect. Chelsea, do you have anything to add? Actually, um, if you could go into it a little bit more, Doug, um, the difference between the, the straws and other ways of doing that and why you prefer the straws, that would be fantastic. Yeah, so I humbly prefer straws if I were working in the office. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one is the draw straws um, are pretty simple. They're fairly expensive, you know, maybe two or $300, but you only have to replace them once every year. Right. If, if you, you're not super, super busy, maybe some pedo offices go through a lot, they might have to do some more or institutions and so forth. But the draw straws take the labor part out of it. They take the human factor out. I've been in a lot of offices that use tablets and the tablets are got a perfectly good product but because they're not following the directions to the T, it starts to clog stuff up. Yep. So I simply that. prefer the, the draw straws because there's a lot less labor involved okay. for the staff every day. And if you forget, oh, I forgot to put the, the tablet in today. 
Well, you could already have bile burden and, 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 and biofilms starting to form, whereas the draw straws are kind of a, you know, it's just put it in and forget it, and now you don't have to worry about it for another year. So I like the fact that it reduces the labor part of that. And flushing the lines out every night and that kind of stuff can just can get laborious. And when it's not easy, all humans, if it's not easy, I probably am not going to do it on a religious basis. So I just prefer the draw straws for that. And they tend to be very easy um, with their regard to dental units and metals and so forth and so on. And remember, in, in dental equipment, we have plastic, we have rubber, we have stainless steel, we have regular steel, right. we have carbide. I mean, we have all kinds of materials here, and everything needs to be completely inert for that. Okay. Good. And in, in, like you said, this, the cost is, outweighs the benefit for me because then I've been one. I've made all the mistakes, trust me, um, that has had to call an equipment repair maintenance because I couldn't figure out why the water wasn't coming out. It's because I didn't let the tablet dissolve and it got sucked up somehow or some chunk got sucked up into the straw and then into the handpiece line and, you know, then they have to take the whole ADUCT unit apart and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it definitely alleviates those issues and also it's just you plug it in one time a year and then you change it out one time a year. You don't have to worry about it. Yes, so. I agree. It makes it easy, and it really draws away the amount of labor. You, you assistants are just dumped on so much with everything. So anything we can do to take some of that away and make the process uh, mechanicalized, right. um, I love that. And then you don't have to forget to put the tab in. You just fill it and put it back on. Done. Done. It's what you guys wanted to do anyway. Fill it up. <laughs> Put it on, go to work. Forget it. All right. So now let's talk about the elephant with the hand pieces. So I'm on a lot of forums and you get a lot of questions about the regulations, the new regulations that came out with hand piece for the high speed and the slow speed or any air driven hygiene hand pieces. So let's start with the high speed, how you should care and maintenance for them. So obviously those need to be sterilized between patients. Yep. Just like everything else. Um, you should take the handpiece, pull the burr out before you know when the doctor's done, and then before you take it off of the dental unit, you need to run it with the water spray for 20 to 30 seconds according to CDC guidelines to flush out anything that might have been drawn back, even though we have safety precautions there. The CDC's idea is not all of them in all of time have had those. So let's go ahead and just cover our bases, flush it out for 20 to 30 seconds. Take the handpiece off and transport it to central sterilization area and then wash it in water no chemicals on hand pieces whatsoever right. not disinfectants not and certainly not um obviously some of you may have have found out the hard way they will not work after they come out of an ultrasonic bath not even <laughs> one time <laughs> so no chemicals running it under running water in the sink with a sponge to rinse off and, and, and mechanically um, get the debris and bio burden off the handpiece, perfectly okay. Handpieces are, are completely compatible with water. They spray water, they go into a wet mouth, and they go into a steam sterilizer. So water won't hurt them. But a lot of people think that water will hurt them, but instead wipe them with disinfectants, which that will cause corrosion of the handpiece that very moment. So that will really reduce the life a lot. We always make sure to pouch the handpiece before it goes into the sterilizer. I know a lot of offices will sometimes um, put the handpieces through, as I call it, naked, because that gets everybody's attention, and they'll run them through like a statum, for instance, unpouched. And the problem with that is, 
if an auditor came in, they would see that and say, well, you, you did a lot of work for no good because because it wasn't pouched, when that sterilizer was done and the door opened, that's, that handpiece is not sterile anymore. So your sterilization uh, cycle didn't count. So we always want to make sure to pouch the in instruments, um, specifically handpieces, prior to going in the sterilizer, and then they can be stored like right, anything right. else that's pouched and they're protected. The, the biggest key, though, for that is make sure your sterilizer goes through the full drying cycle. Because mm -hmm. if you pop the door early and the paper is wet on the pouch, then it's no longer, it's not a barrier, so the instrument inside is not sterile anymore because the air can go right in. And the, and the key with that is making sure your handpiece is dry before putting it in the pouch. You because get... it's going to get saturated. It's going to get saturated in the steam sterilizer. Right, but, but you don't want to add more water to it by not drying it. Yeah, I just dry it off because right. that way, when I do put it in the pouch, if that if that dirty infected handpiece is not immediately put into the sterilizer and it's sitting there in the pouch, if the if the paper is dry, I could legally touch that with an ungloved hand mm -hmm. because it's that's the barrier. But if the but if the pouch is wet and right. I touch it with an ungloved hand, I could have just cross contaminated myself. Right. Yes. So for your slow speeds that we, for years and even in the beginning of my career, would be just left on and we would just yeah. wipe them and you know the the mid the Midwest they they put the profiang on they just wipe them and then when everything changed people are like what we have to buy more equipment. You know, so on and so forth. And doctors were very uh, resistant to it. There's still a lot of offices that I've gone into that, you know, the hygiene has one, you know, they know the right, but their boss won't invest. So it's now we have the cordless that we use and the battery operated one that we use um, through you guys. I, I bought my hygienist each one. Um, so tell us about the slow speed and any air driven handpiece that what we need to do for those. Yeah, so here's, the, here's the, the scarier part is that a lot of people think this is new information. In 2003, all of a sudden that was 17 years ago. Right. Uh, the CDC said any handpiece that connects to an air water line needs to be sterilized between patients. Um, that included the motor. But the offices would say, well, that's, that doesn't know, that can't be. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't go interorally because usually it's the attachment that goes past the lips in the oral cavity, not the motor. Well, studies have been done that shows that when you operate a low-speed motor, you draw patient fluids down into the motor nose itself. So wiping it on the outside does nothing for the inside. And then when you push the foot pedal, the air blows through it again and then could blow out cross-contaminants into the next patient. So since 2003, the CDC says you need to sterilize all instruments hooked to the air water lines. Again, people said, well, they couldn't be low-speed motors or they would have said it. So in the, this is not an update. This is a summary. So it's what I call the Cliff Notes version <laughs> of, the, of the CDC guidelines, right. which are much easier to follow and understand, right. admittedly. It actually uses the word low-speed motors, and that came out in 2016, which is why people think it's new, but it's not. Right. It's been the case since 20, 2003. Right. Yeah, so low-speed motors, both hygiene and um, operative motors, need to be sterilized between patients. There's state law with regards to that, where you yeah. have to follow the CDC guidelines, but there's also ethical obligations there with the ADA and the American Dental Hygienist Association. Right. And that's one of the things that 
I talk about in my lectures, because good, look, we're all good Americans. The speed limit is 75. Can I go 90? Sure. Because if the police are going to give me 90, I'm going 90. Right. I get that. I'm an American too. They're going to give me that five extra miles an hour right. over. I'm going to take it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the question always came is, thanks for telling us that. How am I held accountable to those guidelines? And that's where it's the state dental law and also ethical rules. Again, with the ADA, American mm-hmm. Dental Hygiene Association as well, as well as your own um, dental ass- uh, assistant um, ethical things, mm-hmm. which is, and again, this is technical, so please forgive me, this is technical. I get this is different from the real world, but if there's ever an issue at an office, and this has happened in several places, mm-hmm. that this hygienist said, I don't own the office. Right. I, I said, we should be sterilizing these. The doctor said, no, we're not going to do that. That hygienist also lost her license, mm-hmm. and the doctor lost his license because the comeback was you had an ethical obligation right. to do the right thing or to leave or turn them in or whatever. Not that that happens in real life. We're in offices. We work with people. We're friends. We want to do it. The, the owner said, nope, this is where we're going to do it. I'm going to respect that. But then when the technicalities come out, that's when it gets a little messy. So just be very, very aware of that. The, the ADA has an ethical standard that says if there's any bloodborne pathogen breach, you have a duty to inform the patient. And the ADA said, we helped the CDC write the guidelines. So if, this, if, so if, if you don't follow the guidelines, then that could be a breach of your ADA ethical obligation to right. inform the patient. So what that means is, again, technically, if you've worked on a 1,000 patients the past year, and you didn't sterilize your motor, that's a thousand breaches. Right. You should have had them tested. And it's much cheaper to buy a additional low-speed motor than it is to have Oh, absolutely. Tested. Absolutely. Right? And, and it's, better for your, it's better for your reputation as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The last thing we want to do is have anybody on the news for this kind of stuff. You know, when I do my lectures, I'm like, my job is to make sure if anybody comes in your office, they leave patting you on the back going, good job, and you get more patients, not less. Unfortunately, though, I deal with the, with the cleanup where they've been on the news, they've mm-hmm. lost their dental license, they fight to get their dental license back, but nobody will come to their office because they were on the news, even though, because of the scrutiny, they're the safest dental office in a thousand-mile radius. Right. But nobody comes to their office because we saw that you didn't do the right thing on the news. Yeah. So with the, the hand piece, and I think that I always thought – is because it said air driven in water and with the slow speed water doesn't come out so i think a lot of people are like oh water doesn't come out of it so i don't need to do that and while still you're mixing the two they're the same lines and so on when do you oil recommend oiling these hand pieces before so like during after yep, just like a high speed after you're done using it um blow it out for 20 or 30 seconds if it doesn't have water spray you don't have to do that take it to central sterilization and then wash it, maintain it, mm-hmm. sterilize it, and then take okay. it back in for use. Okay. Yep. So just like a high speed. And what the CDC will say is there, there's now science to show there's no discernible difference between a high speed and a low speed. Right. They won't get cross-contaminated. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Sometimes, if not more, because I know my boss, he uses um, like these little sanding discs, and sometimes, you know, I get little too close to the gum tissue and you might nick it a little bit and then there's some blood and there you go and so good Chelsea, do you have anything to add for our hand pieces well i think some of the 
things that I run into quite frequently would be, and as Doug alluded to earlier, I mean, you guys are so busy in office. If there's any way that we can take steps out of the process, um, that's a huge key, you know, regarding productivity, stress level, etc. Um, so I know as we're talking today, it sounds like we're adding more into it, but I think our mm -hmm. ultimate goal is to remove a lot of steps. So there's technology out there that can actually help you do that. Um, we were talking a little bit, you know, about maintenance a little bit ago and with regard to maintenance and oiling hand pieces, um, as well as cleaning them, um, there's actually equipment out there now mm -hmm. that will do that part of the process for you and it would be consistent and it would be in a manner where the hand pieces aren't getting too much oil, um, just the right amount as well as cleaning out the internal components of the hand pieces. And like I said, instead of doing that as a manual step, mm -hmm. um, you know, a little bit of more of an investment would be something that is mechanical that can do it for you, but ultimately save you time and money down the road. Um, Doug, do you have anything to add to that one? No, I agree 100%. If there's anything we can do to add, um, if we can add um, uh, mechanical devices to the process to make that easier. And we do this all day in the home, right? right? We have refrigerators, we have washers, we have dryers, we have dishwashers. So that is so we don't have to do it. And the nice part about a machine is it does it the same way every time. Yeah, I know we have one. I'm not sure what model is, but we walk in, we slap them on the machine, push the button, walk out. When the next time we go back in there, we wash and bag and put, you know, put them in there. Exactly, that's the ideal. Yeah, where they're supposed yeah, it's to be. Becoming it's becoming kind of the standard now. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. But it is pretty important also with the machine that it is doing both oiling of the hand pieces as well as cleaning them out. Um, some may appear as if they're cleaning the hand piece, but they're simply just doing an oiling step for the hand pieces. So that's some of the misconception of some of the machines that are out there in the market. So it's really important not only to look at using a machine like that, but also purchasing or using the correct one. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a good point. It has to have a cleaner in it or it doesn't do a good job of flushing the internal debris. And that can cause short life, but also can cause infection control issues because it's hard to sterilize dirty things inside or out. And, and for all those hand pieces that you use, whether you use a, you know, um, star hand piece or an NSK or any of those types of air, done supply or whatever hand piece you use, is always follow, follow the manufacturer's recommendations um, for product to use on them and, and the way you treat them. Because that's when they're going to last longer, I've found. You know, it's by reading, reading and reading and reading, you know, how to you know, use your autoclave and how to, you know, use your handpiece and how to clean that. And it's just, it's all reading those instructions for you. So that we tend not to, we tend to just rip open the handpiece, throw it in the sterilizer and use it. We don't tend to read That's how we should use it. That's because we're Americans. <laughs> I get that. And, 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 and don't forget, all that stuff is written by lawyers, so it's actually hard to read as well. But that's where you can tap into your manufacturer's representatives to come in and go through that live yeah. and show you how to do it. Because manufacturers have a, you know, we have a goal to make sure that you get good life out of this stuff so you 
so that you'll buy again and tell all your friends. So it's important that uh, that we go in and, and teach you guys how to how to best use it and how to set up your process correctly. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of defeats the purpose. You get new equipment, but you don't know how to fully use it. You only use this much of it because you're like, oh, I get to use it so much. And then you're like, oh, it does this. And years later, oh, it does this. It's because we didn't fully read the, the instructions. So, all right. So next is what common errors do you see in processes when you guys go into offices that we could improve on, that we should be doing better, that really affects the flow of infection control? I think the biggest one is not following the manufacturer's instructions, just like we talked about. And I think the biggest one is not, uh, you know, being afraid to wash the hippies in water like the manufacturer says, but instead wipe it with disinfectants. I will tell you that disinfectants are the biggest killer of life of hand pieces, and it adds a bunch of step and cost you don't need to be doing. So you think it's doing good when in fact it's doing bad, and it's costing you more money to do it bad. So that's, I think, is if I walk into an office and there's the number one thing that I see, it's offices, again, it's almost automatic behavior, don't even realize you're doing it, wiping hand pieces with disinfectant, and then, of course, not sterilizing instruments that you should be sterilizing, I think is the, the two big things that I talk about when I walk into an office. Charles, what do you see? That's exactly probably the number one. You know, quite often I'll see the tabicide container sitting there. Um, I'll also ask the dental assistant, um, please walk me through your process. And once again, going back to reducing the steps. Um, quite often when I'm in there and I discover how they're currently doing it, by the time we end our discussion, we've actually reduced a number of steps um, in the entire process and saved them time, but also boosted up the infection control piece of their practice or closing those breaches, you know, that exist um, today. Um, and Doug may be going into this more, but, um, you know, the CDC also has an app out there. And in the 2016 summary, it has a number of questions uh, that folks can go through in their offices just to make sure that they're, they're following those basic expectations and guidelines. And I think that would be a big help overall for infection control practices is for folks to be doing that as well. Yeah, and I did see that OSAP opened up all their um, free membership resources right now. There's some beautiful summary checklists for things that we could be doing if you are in your office, even if it's only one day a week right now, to kind of go through and ramp up. So they have a ton of free resources and that app is awesome. I've checked it out a couple times and it really yeah, is helpful. CDC Dental Check. Yeah. And it's on both uh, Android and Apple. Okay. So yes, that's a CDC uh, resource and then all the other OSAP. OSAP is a nonprofit, so they're here to help you guys and their their existence in life is to help make oral health care safer from infectious disease. Yep. And in my, amongst our crisis right now in, in infectious diseases, you know, it's no time is better than to make sure we're all in check because we know when we get back to work that patients are going to be, you know, scrutinizing us. I feel like looking at our floors and looking at our walls and looking at how we keep things and our, our mess, are we messy here and there and are we changing our gloves and our, is our mask pulled over our nose because now they're more aware of all this stuff. So 
it's really important for us to make sure that we have been and always will continue to do the safest practice for them. A lot of people ask me, you know, what should we be doing with coronavirus? Well, actually, exactly what you should have been doing mm-hmm. since 2003, which is the latest state-of-the-art um, science there is from the CDC. So we're, we're not, really not adding any extra steps here. Now we're just being a little bit more thoughtful of, oh, mm-hmm. what does that actually say and what should we be doing? And, and yeah. that's good again. I'm a good American. I, you know, right. I don't pay attention until there's something to pay attention to. I get it. Right. So but now that scrutiny is going to come and now it's just going to be, we don't have to do anything extra. Right. We just have to, we just have to pay attention to the things that the CDC says we should be doing since 2003. Mm-hmm. Especially the low speed hand pieces. I would have to say quite often when I'm in operatories, I do see them sitting on the dental units, um, you know, without being bagged or, you know, and obviously it does look like it's been sitting there patient after patient. And even as a patient myself, and having knowledge around this, I mean, I would most certainly want for that to be sterilized in between patients. Um, And I think that's something that's really important and something that I convey when I have my lunch and learns and I'm working with dental assistants and doctors and so forth is just the importance. And I know you were going back to that, Jules, earlier was, yeah, sure, there's a cost involved in that. Mm Um, and I know it's not an easy conversation because I've had those conversations myself. But on the other hand, as Doug was alluding to, do you really want to be, you know, on, you know, CBS? No, nobody really wants to, to go there. And plus, I mean, at the end of the day, do we want somebody harmed, you know, because there was contaminants still in those hand pieces? No. Um, so it's okay. I mean, even for the folks that, you know, that are listening to this right now, um, sometimes it helps to have somebody outside of the office conveying the message. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that quite often. I'm in there and, you know, I'll even show sources, you know, the C- CDC 2016 um, summary and have it highlighted right there, the importance of sterilizing the, those low speed motors. So um, folks like ourselves were available, you know, if, mm-hmm. If you do need an extra voice um, to, to convey those, at times, delicate messages. Yeah, and they're definitely, you know, like I said, I think the do what's right now because it'll cost you less in the end, you know? Absolutely. So, because you can't go back and undo things that you haven't been doing right once you get caught. So, I mean, there's no, you can fix it, but you got to just do it right to begin with. So... And I will tell you, in my lectures, sometimes I will get the raised hand. And again, in, in mm-hmm. my lectures, it's a safe space. Right. You know, we can have, we can have frank discussions. Nobody's yep. there. That's that right. just having a frank discussion. But I'll get you know I'll get raised hands going. Gosh, you know, but nobody got hurt. And I said, well, I I get it, but from a legal standpoint, actual patient injury need not be established. Um, and I, and I, I always go back to analogies because it's just easier to think. So step away from dental real quick. If you run a stop sign, that's the infraction. Whether you hit somebody or not, right. it doesn't really matter. If you hit somebody, if you don't hit somebody, that's a blessing. But the actual infraction was running the stop sign, not hitting someone. So you can't tell a police officer, well, I know I ran the stop sign, but I didn't hit anybody, so we're all good, right? Uh, no. So it's actually the breach of the infection control guideline that's the challenge. 
because I have had people raise their hand, and, and again, they said it in a, in a funny way. They're like, hey, where's the dead bodies? And I'm like, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, we're not, you know, thankfully we're not creating cardiac arrest or anything right. like that. Although mm-hmm. we do have that with, with, with some of the sedations, but we have uh, bloodborne pathogens that might be hepatitis C or hepatitis B. Mm-hmm. The patient may never know they ever have it until they die. We don't know. Or they haven't so, told you. Right. So that's why the CDC puts all their efforts into how do we prevent this. And <clears throat> that's what the states have gotten behind them. Is let's do all these steps in order to prevent anything from passing. By the way, to you, the worker, or to the patient. But you guys have OSHA in your face because it's an employee-employer relationship. Right. But they're also in the face of the Taco Bell down the road. But who's looking out for the patient? That's where it gets a little bit more gray. And there's not an OSHA person there to make sure you're doing that. That has to be with kind of like self-education, understanding what the CDC guidelines say, and then following those. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And Jules, yeah. I don't want. I definitely want to convey to the to everybody in the line right now that when I interact with offices, I'm there, you know, to inform. Mm-hmm. I am not the CDC police. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I'm not from the office of the profession. I am just simply there um, to inform, and it's a very confidential discussion and so forth. And the ultimate goal being just, you know, making sure that everybody is up to speed on the knowledge and, and you know, knowledgeable about, you know, all of the, the guidelines that are out there today and the basic expectations. And, and that's my thing is like when I lay my head down at night, I know that when I either left an office or I did things right, I can sleep at night knowing that I helped that office. Now what they do when I leave, I'm hoping they knock on wood that they, you know, follow along, but at least I gave them and I opened up their eyes and, you know, help them be better at what they, they are than the day before I walked in, you know? So it's, it's very, you know, we're here to help them. We're helpers. I always say we're helpers, whether I'm chair side or, or what, but we're here to help everybody grow in the correct way so we can all continue to practice dentistry in the, the best way. So lastly, three things we should be doing that we don't daily. So we've kind of already talked about these, so I'll just run through those again. Sterilize your low-speed motors, both hygiene and operative motors. Uh, treat your water lines. Uh, again, I've been in a lot of discussions. We don't make a water line treatment. However, our instruments use water, so it's an important topic for us. I've had a lot of people raise their hand and go, well, the CDC says to use um, drinking water quality, and that's what we do. We get tap water right out of the faucet mm-hmm. from the city, and we put it in our bottle, and there you go. And I always make the distinction, yes, but it's the, the CDC wants uh, drinking water quality coming out of the dental unit, not just going into In, it. Right. So it's coming out is the is is the real kicker there, right? And then the other thing is is um, another recommendation from the CDC is to consider burrs, diamonds, and endophiles to be single use devices. Yes, and that's where I would say read those instructions for uses, um, because I have seen where several they corrode. They're not. They should not be. They should not be double used or used again. They are single use. They are meant for single and there's, use. And there's a study that shows that um, because those instruments are so small and mm-hmm. their their architecture is so miniature, it's very hard to clean them. Therefore, it's very hard to sterilize them. So they were showed where 
they, were, they used a diamond, and then they cleaned it according to manufacturer's instructions, poached it, sterilized it, brought it out, tested it, it still had microorganisms on it. So that's why the CDC says that these instruments should be considered single-use devices. Uh, single-use meaning on one patient, not necessarily on one tooth. Right, right. So, yes. Same, I mean, you, know, you could use the same yeah. diamond burr on the same patient, but not from patient to patient to patient. Exactly, yeah. yes. And then, of course, a fourth thing would be um, when you do have single-use devices that are labeled single-use, mm-hmm. only use them on one patient. And we've seen news stories about people reusing isolites and things on different patients um, mm-hmm. just to pull them, and that got in the news, and it got pretty bad. And, um, again, it's, it's something that the, that the auditors and the FDA is very concerned about. And in like in my area, we cannot, well, I'm in a different county than my practice is, but we cannot use, um, cold sterile has to be harvested and picked up. It cannot be dumped down to the public water line. And cold sterile is gross, so I make every office get rid of it. It's disgusting. There's nothing that we can't use in dentistry that can't be heat sterilized. Yes. Everything can be heat sterilized. If not, it's meant to be thrown out and let's throw it out. The biggest thing I see is like the impression trays, the plastic compression trays that people cold sterile and then they try to autoclave. And I just, I'm like, no, we can't do that. Nope. Because right. plastic is porous and it's getting all those chemicals soaked in them and stuff like that. So it's throw those out. See the zero circle? That's what it means. So, but I tried it in there. I'm like, I don't care. You tried it in its mouth. It's got to go in the garbage. So, we just have to learn yeah, how to properly even, measure. And even the gases from the cold sterile now are, are bad for you as, as someone that's there all the time that can affect your health. Well, that and I, I think if you have it in an area, you're supposed to have a fan that circulates the air so many minutes or something yes. every hour. Yes. Yeah, because every time you open it, you release it. I would imagine the APA is probably going to get rid of cold sterile at some point. Yeah. Um, in private practice and then if it is used institutionally for different things and sometimes it is required right, right. you're going to have you know tens of thousands of dollars of equipment to make that um workable yeah like you said with evacuation fans and everything i just so no i just think it's, office we're not going to have all that stuff. yeah my least favorite thing when i go into an office <laughs> and i see it i just cringe yes. just cringe because then i watch and you watch them open it put stuff in open it take stuff out. i'm like there hasn't even been the time yet it's not sterilized, you know, so they don't, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to change the team's habit when they've always done something the same way. Well, so. Dr. Molinari, who you probably yeah. know from, from mm-hmm. OSAP, and he's one of my mentors for many years ago. I started when AIDS was a big factor in AMP sterilization. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Molinari will often laugh and he goes, hey, we all remember the, the magic blue water. We didn't know what it was, but if it went in there and came out, it was sterile. <laughs> And then what do you know, he called it um, light light sterilization or dark sterilization. You put it in the drawer, you shut it, you pull, you open the drawer, it's magically it's sterile. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah, just like with the combs and the barber thing. I remember going yes. to the kids with the combs, yes. and they would pull the thing out, and you'd pick your comb, and I'd be like, "Hey, everybody else's comb is in there." <laughs> you know, Chelsea, yes. do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would say. Um... One of the items that sometimes is overlooked would be when people are using electric systems and the electric motors that are on the Yeah. Um, That's probably one of those that, you know, we talk so much about low speed motors, but when 
We see people using the electric systems out there. Quite often that electric motor um, that is on there uh, needs to be autoclaved as well. And it's often just stays right on that and the next attachment gets attached and it's used like that over and over and over all day. So um, I would definitely point that out as well as at times I've seen offices not have enough hand pieces and quite often this leads down you know that road of you know taking the bag out of sterilization way too quick not going through the drying cycle and trying to shuffle hand pieces you know through as quickly as people can um, because of the lack of having enough hand pieces so it's really critical um, that you not only have the hand pieces that they also work right and you know, kind of rule of thumb is, you know, a minimum of three per op um, is the ideal uh, situation. Um, so, and like I said, I mean, sometimes it helps to have another voice come in, you know, such as myself or another manufacturer uh, representative to, you know, kind of give examples of what we see out there, what is the most common um, practice to do. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of pressure off as, you know, employees of the office. So. And these are all um, things that they can do with their dent supply rep in their area, call them up and get all, whether they're in California, they're in Washington, they're in Chicago with you, Doug, or Buffalo with, you know, you, Chelsea, Pennsylvania, whatever territories you have, that you, they can call you up and have you come in and say, hey, can you help me? There's some things I know need to be changed. How do I get it changed? Absolutely. We see ourselves as partners in the process. You know, we're part of the team as well, and we want you to be successful. If you guys are successful, we are as well. And, I mean, we also want to make it fun. Um, right. I know sometimes this can get a little bit dry, um, but quite often we want to bring in lunch for the staff. And, you know, once again, that's our thank you to you. Um, and, you know, it takes a whole team to make this happen, and we like to do the lunch and learns, and we like to share and spend time with you and educate. So please, you know, call us in, and, and we can certainly help. Sounds good. Sounds good. And let me just see if I have any questions. I have one question from somebody that says, what if you wipe down before packaging sterilization? So I know a lot of people think that just from a logic standpoint, hey, if I disinfect this instrument, and I sterilize it, I'm double killing. Here's what the CDC says. It actually doesn't happen. It actually, disinfecting something before it goes in the sterilizer can actually counteract the sterilization cycle because in order to have a good sterilization cycle, it has to be clean of bio burden. When you wipe something with disinfectant, it's not cleaning it. There's a lot of alcohol in disinfectants. It actually dries the bio burden on. So it actually harms the effectiveness of sterilization, even though that seems to go against uh, logic. So we want to wash something in water and not dry it, on, dry it on, and then sterilize it. If we Again, if we wipe it with disinfectant, disinfectant is not a good cleaner, at least not in the initial wipe. So it counter, it's counteractive to that. And when you are chair-side as an assistant and you remove instruments from like cement and stuff, I always wipe the ends with um, just a, a gauze that's wet or has alcohol in it sometimes to make sure it's clean before it sets up so it's less work for me to go in there um, and clean it and thing. 
Even though hand scrubbing is not a preferred method, I am still an avid, we put our stuff in cassettes. I open the cassette after I take it out of the ultrasonic. I check over all the instruments and if it need, it's still kind of, I inspect them. Um, I do hand scrub with soap and water after and put it back in there and rinse it off and bag it. Cause I'm, sometimes you just, I feel like you, you, you just have to check the ends of them cause sometimes it doesn't all come off, you know, just double check before you wrap and bag. It's a little longer process, <laughs> yeah, but I agree. Sometimes you can't be in a rush alcohol, to do things. Alcohol is a good uh, substance. The reason being is because if you, if you need to get a sticker off the window of your car, mm -hmm. you take it off. What's left behind is that little bit of oil, sticky stuff. Right. Alcohol will take that off. But in other words, but other times, alcohol will dry out things like rubbers and things that are inside of hand pieces because we have right. rubber O-rings inside of hand pieces. So you just have to be careful with that. And again, there's a big difference between static instruments, no moving, no moving parts, and dynamic instruments like a hand piece that spins at 6,000 revolutions per right. second. Right. So we have to treat those very differently, and, and we're still in a hand-washing mode with hand pieces simply because it can't handle the chemicals of even a, a, a washer and most certainly the ultrasonic. The ultrasonic. Uh, yeah, so those are some of the challenges. And again, we want to come out with something that cleans the inside of the handpiece, cleans the outside, does it for you safely. The challenge is if that costs $10,000 or $8,000, will the office just say, well, we'll just do it by hand. Right. So that's the challenge we have. So again, we try to make it as easy as possible, as cost effective as possible, and as safe as possible. Thanks. Well, I thank you guys for being on. Hold on. Thank you much. <laughs> thank you. Wasn't that epic? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Chelsea and Dog from Dent Supply Serona for spending time with us, helping us get educated, and, and just basically uniting our friends so that when we are back up and running at full capacity, we are completely ready. And the CE code for this episode is 040920DSIC. And as always, feel free to reach out to DA Rockstar's Instagram podcast, Jules Varney Dental Assistance Rock, Instagram, Facebook, website, and find your tribe. Dental Assistance Worldwide Group is a safe place for us. But until next time, keep on sectioning.